You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Treasure McLean. I'm part of the McLean Community Group. And I will be reading in the word for y'all this morning. We are in Psalm 140, if you want to get there. I'm reading in the ESV. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as serpents. And under their lips is the venom of asps. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net. Beside the way they have set snares for me. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits, no more to rise. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright upright shall dwell in your presence. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen. Thank you, Treasure. Hey, good morning. My name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Odessa. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being here. Under your chair, there is a connect card. Uh, if you'd take a minute, fill that out. Let us know how we can connect with you, how we can serve you, and how we can get you plugged in to the life of the body. Um, and if you're on your phone, uh, we're using the ESV. And like Treasure said, I will be in Psalm 140. So for the last uh, four or five weeks, we've been in this series called Lament. Um, We've got two weeks left this week and next week. And so just in an effort to keep the meaning of lament in front of you, lament means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. So as an action, it's mourning things in our life that just aren't right. In Christian lament, it's our prayer language. It's how we, how we bring our sorrow to God. Lament is how we navigate life between these two places where life is really hard, and yet God in his sovereignty, God in his kingly rule, God in his reign and control is worthy to be trusted. And so up to this point, we've looked at several personal laments, and three weeks ago we looked at a, a corporate lament, Last week, we looked at what's known as a penitential lament, where the psalmist was lamenting sin in his life. And then we looked at our response to sin and how we need to respond in spite of it. And so today, we're going to look at another lament that's extremely personal. But this time, it's different than, God, I feel like you've abandoned me. 
It's a different type of lament than this. And it's different than, God, I've sinned and I need your help. Today we're going to look at what's known as an imprecatory psalm. uh, Meaning this, there are psalms which which contain curses for your enemies. They're called imprecations. Um, This type of language doesn't appear in all the psalms. Or do they ever really make up an entire psalm? However, there are at least a dozen or more psalms that have this type of language that expresses the idea that the psalmist is asking for some kind of vindication over and against an injustice that he's experiencing at the hands of somebody else. And so as Christians, I think as we read psalms like this, we're like, it's like, God, deal with those people and, and do it. In a, in a really awesome way where you're like casting them into a, a pit or something. As, as Christians, some of this language is potentially really hard for us to stomach as we read the Bible, especially when you consider the words of Jesus to love your enemies and pray for those that, that persecute you. But given the nature of these psalms of lament that we've been walking through, I really do think for for our purposes, it's, it's prudent for us to consider the nature of, of psalms like this and, and prayers like this. So this morning as we're walking through this text, let me just invite you to consider a couple things this morning. Last week we talked about sin, and I said sin is serious because the Bible says sin is serious. So I want to remind you of that again this morning. Sin is serious. God takes sin so seriously that he had to come and die because of it. And just to give us all a working definition this morning as, we, as we're moving forward and so we're all on the same page, sin is missing the mark. It's falling short of the standard that God has set for us. It is more than just breaking rules. We have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the standard that God set for us. It's more than just rule breaking. We are rebelling against the holy and righteous and just God who created us in his image to follow him and to know him and to love him and to do so in perfection. And the worst possible consequence of our sin is this. It breaks fellowship between us and God. And what makes this so significant and what makes this so sad is that we can do absolutely nothing about it. Sin is pervasive, nothing is untouched by sin, and sin will destroy us. But here's the good news and the second thing for you to consider. With all that said, I want to tell you also that if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are now an adopted son or daughter of the king of the universe, and therefore God is pleased to act and intercede on your behalf. Therefore, these type of prayers are certainly our prerogative as we boldly approach our Father who wants us to submit our request to Him. This psalm, like all other psalms of lament, are inviting us to pray and leading us to trust in who God says He is. So with that, let's, let's just pray and dive in. Lord Jesus, um, we're thankful people. Lord, I just want to pray peace over this crowd, Lord, that as we are people walking in and living in the tension between life being really hard and you being in control and your love and care for us, Lord, I just pray that we would learn to lament and lament well. 
Lord, that you would teach us to trust you by faith and dependency in, in who you are and um, you're working for our life. Church, in this moment, I'd ask that you pray for yourself. I'd ask that the Lord would reveal any sin to you. I'd ask you to ask the Lord that he would reveal any sin to you that you're walking in. And then ask the Lord to reveal any areas of unbelief and unforgiveness you're harboring towards somebody. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. um, Psalm 140, beginning in verse 1, it says, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as serpents, and under their lips is the venom of asps. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net. Beside the way they have set snares for me. So just for a little context here, this psalm is written by David, the same David who wrote the psalm we looked at last week. This is the same David who murdered a guy after sleeping with the guy's wife. And last week he gives us a model of confession and repentance in the midst of our sin. And today in this text we see him writing, and he is writing again in the midst of some kind of a struggle. That's about all we know about this psalm. But I do think within these five verses, there's something that we can all relate to. We've all probably experienced people talking bad about us. We have all probably been wrongly accused of some things. So there is a communal aspect immediately introduced to us in this psalm. As readers, we can relate to David. And more importantly, we can also relate to our Savior Jesus. One commentator said that it is not hard for us to imagine that Jesus prayed this prayer of lament on the night that he was betrayed and on the night he was arrested and falsely accused. So from the onset, it is really important for us to know and be able to take comfort in the fact that although it may feel like we're alone and it may feel like we've been abandoned, We do have a great high priest in Jesus that knows us and identifies with us in our weaknesses. And I just want to remind us of the structure of lament. Prayers of lament always begin with an address to God. David begins by calling to the Lord. He says, Lord, or in the Hebrew it's the word Yahweh, directly addressing God is David by his covenantal name, Yahweh. So when you see LORD in all capital letters in your Bible, this is God's covenantal name. A covenant is a promise or an agreement entered into by two parties that can never be broken except by death. So David is immediately appealing to God's nature and God's character. By addressing God by his covenant name, David is appealing not only to God act presently, he's saying Not only, God, do I want you to act presently, but he is also appealing to what he knows to be true about God. In this statement, there is a statement of deliverance. David is calling on God's past faithfulness to him. 
David's statement says, God, your past faithfulness to me means I can trust you today. David appeals to God by his covenantal name seven times within this psalm. So in light of this, it's important for us to remember, brothers and sisters, that it's a privilege and an honor that we get to pray and that we get to approach God with confidence that he is going to act on behalf of his children. Man, our first response in light of any struggle of any kind or for the sake of our text today, persecution, our first response when we're slandered or persecuted or we're struggling is not to try to defend ourselves. And that's really hard, right? That kind of goes against our natural inclination. We like to act as our own defender. But when we're pressed, when people talk bad about us, our first response isn't to run to Instagram and go after them. Our first response is to pray. And man, I don't say this to your guilt and shame because I am just as guilty and struggle with this probably as much or more as any of you. But when your first response to struggle isn't prayer, it speaks to a lack of faith and trust in who God says he is. And just over even just the last few weeks, I've had to repent of this several times in my own life. Even even this morning, actually, if I'm honest. Man, when my responses to things that aren't right haven't led me to prayer, it shows that I think I am more capable than God to act. And I think that I am more capable than God to fix things. Which shows me how prideful I really am. And it shows me that in these moments, I am more dependent on myself than on God, who says he is working for me and working for my good. Man, but the witness of the Bible suggests that not only can we pray, but also that we are expected to pray. And pray with expectation that God will act, and God is pleased to act, and he will act in his time and for his purposes. We get to boldly approach God, and yet we seem so willing to miss out on so many blessings and the blessedness of knowing Jesus because we either don't pray or we don't pray with an eager expectation that God cares for us. And so we pray safe prayers when we pray. We pray in a way that we're not set up for disappointment. And again, what these Psalms of Lament are teaching us is that we get to pray and are expected to pray bold, big prayers of faithfulness. So here we have this direct address to God, which is the first step of lament. And the second step of lament is complaint. So David, keeping with the pattern of lament, complains to God. David is voicing his complaint that evil men have gathered around him in order to bring about David's destruction. And then out of complaint, that leads to petition. David is asking for rescue. 
asking for deliverance and deliverance from what the text says are evil and violent men. So I want each of you to examine your own life here as we walk through this text of what makes these men evil and violent. These men are evil because they are violent. They are evil because with their words and their speech, they stir up discord. They're gossipy. They slander. They talk bad about people with no regard for others. They plan to hurt others with their words and with their deeds. And so David prays for the faith and the strength to persevere. And he prays that God would sustain him and keep him. And within this prayer, we see David expressing confidence that God is going to deliver him. Verse 6, it says, I say to the Lord, you are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my strength, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. So David is acknowledging that it is only God who can and will keep him safe. David is again addressing his covenantal God. And there is an overwhelming amount of faith and devotion being expressed in these, these verses. I love the imagery in verse 7. David, the warrior king, says, God is the warrior God who has covered my head like a helmet for battle. This isn't a prayer that is praying against the battle. You notice David is not praying to be spared from a struggle or have a struggle-free life. I think we lose sight of this a lot in our like touchy-feely, emotion-driven culture. We oftentimes wrongly equate struggle to mean that we're wrong or that something is wrong with us or we're not being faithful or we don't have enough faith and so God is allowing us to struggle. And that's just not right. What the Bible shows us is that the Christian life is just fraught with difficulty and struggle. But that does not indicate that you are faithless. Rather, what the New Testament teaches us is that God actually perfects us and perfects us within the midst of struggling. So there is purpose within the struggle and within the battle. Man, the whole point of our faith journey is not that we get to heaven. That is an awesome reward. Same, brother. The whole point of our faith journey, or the main goal at least, is that we grow more dependent on Jesus. And we grow to look more like Jesus, regardless of our circumstances. David is appealing to the Lord to sustain him. And he's asking that the Lord would continue to get glory from David's life, regardless of David's circumstances. In verse 8, David asks the Lord to frustrate the plans of these wicked men so they won't be exalted. The goal of the Christian life, again, is not that we live an easy and struggle-free existence, but that the Lord would be glorified in our life. That the Lord would be honored above all else. David is praying to the Lord that these plans will not succeed because the Lord and the Lord alone is worthy to be exalted and praised. So David's petitioning for the righteous plan of the Lord to continue and to succeed. 
And that leads to the uh, imprecatory element of the psalm. Verse 9. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let the burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast in the fire, into miry pits, no more to rise. Let not the slander be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. All right, so I want to deal with maybe some adverse reactions you're having to these three verses in this type of language that David uses. Some people say that this type of prayer is inconsistent with the command of Jesus to love one's enemies and pray for those who persecute us. However, I do want to show you um, that these type of prayers are well within your rights as believers in Jesus to pray. Warren Wiersbe says that our posture towards praying for godless people is that God would change their hearts and character and not stop their persecution against us or the church primarily. So let's just rewind the tape real quick. Let's rewind the tape for a second in all of our lives. Were it not for the grace of God to you, Christian, you are evil. You are capable of all kinds of evil against God and others. And therefore, as we pray and as we seek justice, our prayer ought to be more than God, give them what they deserve. Because we all deserve the same thing. And that is eternal separation and condemnation. But God sees fit to intervene and redeem the hearts and lives of the saints. We want justice because God is a God of justice. And yet, we also desire mercy, meaning we don't want to get what we deserve. Christian, we desire mercy for ourselves. Therefore, as people of God, saved and redeemed by the unmerited grace and mercy of Jesus to us, we plead with God to save sinners. And God is pleased to save repentant sinners by his death and resurrection. A few other reasons why this prayer language is not inconsistent with the teaching of Jesus is this. What we see in David's prayer is David is submitting this matter completely to the Lord. He's not taking matters into his own hands and then sprinkling a little Jesus in or a little, a little prayer around the dinner table into the process. No, he is resolute that God is going to have to act for him to have any hope. David is pleading for justice and mercy. We see prayers like this all throughout the Psalms and the prophets. We see people praying for God to defend the poor, defend the needy, defend the helpless. And Daniel Aiken says that justice and mercy go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. For God to enact mercy to the needy and to the vulnerable, those that afflict them must be held accountable. David says that in verse 9 that the things their lips have said would turn around on them. So any other 90s kids in here, a couple of you? I was having a conversation with some college students recently about 9-11, and they were like, bro, I was born in 2004. So anyways, um, yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> we're old. I wear pantaloons. Anyways, um, 
So back in the 90s, I used to run around on these public school playgrounds, and man, I had some comebacks. Like, I was an artist, okay? Anyways, what David is saying here is the, uh, the biblical version of a comeback. I'm going to try to do this in my best King James language. This is David a few thousand years ago saying, Thy art rubber, and thou art glue. Whatever thou sayest bounces off of thy and sticks to thee. <laughs> Thank you, treasure. I knew you'd like that one. So, anyways, this is David. He's wanting to, them to experience what he is experiencing. Hey, you got to get it together or we're not going to get through this. David's wanting them to experience what he is experiencing. And he's asking God to change their hearts. So we pray with confidence that not only can God redeem the cause of the needy, but God can redeem us. And God can redeem the offenses done to us. And God can redeem those that have done evil to us. God is in the business of redeeming and making things new. And that's why the gospel is so offensive. Within the gospel of Jesus, the least deserving broken sinners receive forgiveness in life. And because of the forgiveness we have received by the blood of Jesus... Christians, then you are to be the most forgiving people. When you consider the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus tells us to pray and ask God to forgive us of our sins as we forgive those that trespass against us. If you're unwilling to forgive other people that have sinned against you, you do not understand God's grace to you. We don't overlook the things that are done to us or are said about us in an effort to be a, a peace faker. But we get to acknowledge our hurts and ask God to act. And when we ask God to bring conviction to those who have wronged us, we ask God also to remove the logs we have in our own eyes. We ask God to reveal our sin as well. We seek reconciliation with those people who have hurt us because of the great reconciliation we have received. And when that fails, or if that fails, we trust that God is still for us. The psalm then takes us to the place of trust and dependency. It's woven throughout the psalm, but here it turns into a cry of victory. Verse 12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. David says, I know. I'm confident. I know that God is going to act. Look at how much confidence he has in this psalm for us. I know that God is going to act because I have seen him act before. The natures of these prayers have changed from prayers of deliverance to prayers of victory and triumph. God is pleased to act on behalf of his needy children. And because of this, we have everything we need. So I want to encourage you with a couple things and then challenge you with a couple things as we, as we close. I'll start with this. I want to call you back to a missional ethic of this psalm. 
This is an encouragement to pray for people that don't know Christ as their Savior. If you're a covenant member of Redeemer Odessa, we have asked you to engage lost people around you. And honestly, some of you just don't. And grace to you, but I will say this, if you like how these imprecatory psalms make you feel, or if you think they're unloving, I'd also tell you that not praying for people, not engaging with lost people is unloving too. If you want God to act justly towards unbelievers, but you are unwilling to pray for the salvation of unbelievers, that's a problem, man. What I hope that these imprecatory laments teach you is that God is a God who is moved to action by the prayers of his people. Therefore, I want to lovingly submit this to you. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for that the Lord will intercede on behalf of their salvation? Who are you praying for that the Lord would bring them to the repentance of their sins? Man, if you're not, I'd really encourage you to begin. And if you don't know anyone, then ask the Lord to bring someone in your life that needs them. Every time I've prayed that prayer, the Lord has answered. The invitation to follow Jesus isn't an invitation to be a passive observer to what God is doing, but to be an active participant in Jesus, with Jesus in ministry. Man, some of you need to hear that again. When you consider how precious your redemption is, when you consider the severity of your own sin and how steep your debt was and to what great lengths God went in order to save you, and some of you act like it doesn't even matter. Some of you, especially some of you men, are so passive in your pursuit of Jesus. And God has called you to be the pace setter of your home. And you don't engage your family with any spiritual conversations. And it's no surprise that some of your family struggle spiritually. And you can make every excuse in the world to not do these things. But every decision you make is rooted in something you value. So many of you are not reading your Bibles at all. And sadly... Man, I don't think we're a church that's committed to deep prayer, asking God to act. And I'm guilty of this too. Man, what would change in our life? What would change in your life if you actually acted like you believed what you said you believed? What would change in your life? Man, those of you that are feeling anxious and fearful as Christians, there's a direct correlation to your spiritual disciplines and the fears and anxieties that you're feeling. You need to be reminding yourselves daily of your position in Christ. And some of you just flat out neglect that. So Christian, let me remind you of this. 
grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace to you. You have a God who loves you and wants you and desires a relationship with you. Through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, he has called you into his family to know him, to follow him, and to live on mission with him. What would change in this church and what would change in your life if we were actually doers of the word and not hearers only? Man, church, let's be people of the word and be people of prayer. And let's be a church that walks with Jesus through his indwelling Holy Spirit who is interceding for you because you are his. And then let's be a great commission church that follows the command of God to make disciples of all nations. Okay, back to our own lamentations here. There's a real danger for me, if I'm not careful, to minimize the hurts that you've experienced and the hurts you're currently walking through and to make your path of healing and restoration very formulaic, like, hey, do these steps and then you're going to be okay. But what this lament series has taught us and what my own journey with lament and healing has taught me is that each of us have our own journey with healing and our own journey with the Lord. So here's a few things I will tell you. In regards to your struggle, your struggle with being hurt, your struggle with being mistreated, and with your struggle to forgive those that have hurt you, it's okay for you to be where you're at. It's okay to feel what you're feeling. It is not okay for you to stay there. It's okay to feel hurt and let down because those feelings are real and those things have been done to you and those things are not okay and not the heart of God to you. And yet, because of God working and interceding for us, we can now move forward in faith and dependency and forgiveness because we have been forgiven. Christian, consider this. In this life, before you were ever sinned against, before someone ever sinned against you, you were first a sinner. And your sin has separated you from God, and yet, in his great love, God was not willing to leave you in your sin, and God has made a way for you to be reconciled back to him through his death and resurrection. God is glorified in us when we turn from our sin and place our faith in him. And an expression of our faith is our willingness to forgive others and work through our grief towards him. And also, we just get to trust. David is silent in the face of his accusers. Centuries later, Jesus standing condemned for crimes he did not commit, stood silent in the face of his accusers. Jesus commits himself to the will of the Lord in the midst of suffering. And Jesus, our Savior, and our example, shows us our posture in the midst of struggle, in the midst of persecution, resoluteness towards Jesus. 
Church, commit yourself to the Lord and he will defend you. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Growing up, I'd hear this verse and I'd like shout a hearty, No one! But, but that's just not true. The answer isn't no one. Christian, people are going to hate you for your faith in Christ. Just look at our culture right now. Our culture and our world seems to be moving further and further away from Jesus and Christianity is being pushed further and further to the margins of our society. So the answer is not no one. But what this verse shows us is that God is for us. It doesn't really matter who's against us because Jesus has won the war. Our greatest need has been dealt with. Our need for a Savior. Our sin promises death, but through faith in Jesus' work on our behalf, we have been rescued and redeemed from our great enemy of sin and death. Commit yourselves to Jesus, our warrior king who fights our battles. We have been given the gift of forgiveness through faith and repentance. Jesus is calling us to turn from our sin and receive his forgiveness. Man, that's the invitation for you if you don't know Christ. That you don't have to walk around with your guilt and shame and hurts, but you have been invited into a life with Jesus to receive forgiveness from your sins and receive his adoption to you. Place your faith in him. If you don't know Christ, that's the invitation for you. If you do know Christ, the invitation of you is to be motivated by grace. Meaning this. Maybe you need to confront someone who has hurt you and seek reconciliation. Maybe you need to pray and commit your hurts to the Lord. During our response time here in a second, I'd just ask that you would take an honest assessment of your own heart and not leave here without any movement towards Jesus. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Let's pray.